welcome to the Toes Online Podcast. I'm your host, Gio Brassi, and today I'm bringing you from Fordham Hamstring University, dead smack in Gotham City, a.k.a. the Bronx, New York, Coach Joe Gilfeder, who was my former boss. I probably still look at him the same way. Great friend. I like to call him a friend now because I currently left Fordham, FYI. That's a spoiler. Coach Gil, thanks for finally hopping on the podcast, man. We've been talking about this for a long time. How you feeling, man? How's things going out there in the Bronx? They're going well. You know, summer training's uh, wrapping up in about one more week before we start uh, football camp. And then all of our sports are going to start coming back, um, gearing up for this fall season. But it's funny that now, you know, we're in two different spots uh, talking about strength and conditioning on the podcast, whereas you used to be, you know, 15 feet away. So it's funny how it works out, but it's going to be fun uh, regardless. Yeah, we had we had a live session podcast going on every day. Now we get to record one. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, coach. Take some time to, you know, talk about yourself, where you're from, uh, sports you played, where you studied, uh, strength and conditioning wise, how you got to Fordham University, man. Absolutely. So I grew up in New Jersey, Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. I uh, went to Governor Livingston High School, you know, played football, did track and field, baseball, basketball. So all the tr- kind of traditional sports after high school, went to Ithaca College and played four years of football up there for Ithaca College Bombers after college. Uh, well, in college, I studied uh, exercise science, and I, I always kind of knew that I wanted to be in, in strength and conditioning. It was always a passion of mine. And I think it started when you, well, first of all, you hear about athletic training, and you're like, oh, okay, I can train athletes. And then you learn that, okay, athletic training is a completely different profession and major in and of itself. And you get introduced to exercise science and learning about anatomy and physiology and learning about exercise physiology and biomechanics and neuromuscular control and all those cool classes and being able to get exposed to all that at Ithaca College was awesome. I had a lot of great professors there that, that really helped develop me uh, and learn a lot of those basics um, and then try and apply some of those things to my own training. One of the things I, I kind of laugh about is we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach at Ithaca College. So we were pretty much on our own in regards to training. And to be honest with you, it was probably a good thing because I might have been too much of a hot-headed 18 to 22-year-old that I don't know (laughs) if I necessarily would have listened to the strength and conditioning coach if I was someone who had maybe read something different or believed something different. So it's probably better that I had to kind of figure it out on my own. And I think it also helped me grow into a strength and conditioning coach uh, now. So after Ithaca College, four years of that, um, you know, I took one year in between uh, where I was actually a line cook, um, believe it or not, not a very good cook, but I was a line cook for a year. And then luckily I was admitted into Springfield College's uh, strength and conditioning graduate program where I was able to really learn and intern under some of the hungriest uh, strength and conditioning professionals and really be kind of led in the right direction by Dr. Uh, Brian Thompson, who still to this day, I try and keep in contact with and I, I thank him and try and tell him how grateful I am for the opportunities uh, and the direction he pointed all of us to because he really facilitated anything that we really wanted to do and, and really tried to help all of us get to where we wanted to get. So I'm going to be forever indebted to Brian Thompson in Springfield College. And even though I, I only spent two years there, it just uh, it does feel like home. Uh, just as much as Ithaca College would feel like home being four years there. After Springfield College, uh, I was very, very lucky to to get a job at Dartmouth College. Um, and Dartmouth College, I was able to work with uh, men's basketball, you know, assist with football, and then a whole host of other teams that 
you normally would not be able to coach, you know, so I coached sailing, I coached uh, heavyweight rowing, lightweight rowing, women's rowing, uh, I worked with squash, I worked with equestrian, um, you know, along with more traditional sports with the soccers and the lacrosses and the footballs and the basketballs, I was able to get exposed to different sports that you don't necessarily get to train every day. So being able to coach different athletes, different mindsets, male, female, everybody, uh, that was very, very valuable. And I spent uh, three years there up in New Hampshire. And then March 12, 2018, you know, uh, I still remember it to this day. That was my first day coming down here to uh, take the job at, at Fordham. So I've been here just over three and a half years. And uh, it's kind of funny how the world goes round because my dad grew up a few blocks from here in the Bronx. My mom grew up in Brooklyn. You know, I was only about 30 minutes away. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. And when my dad would take me to Yankee games, and I was like five, six, seven years old. I was always like, I want to live in the city. I want to live in the city. I want to live in the Bronx, you know, and we were big Yankee fans, always have been, always will be. Uh, it's funny kind of how it takes till, you know, 2018 uh, to actually for that to come to fruition and actually happen. So very, very lucky. And uh, it's, you know, being able to work with guys like you, guys like Joshua Greer and Steven Giorgio, you know, it's really helped me develop as a coach. And uh, it's been awesome. I can't wait for it to keep going, too. Yeah. You got to be tough to live in the Bronx, too, right? <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's one thing I learned is that uh, the Bronx is a whole nother animal in regards to, uh, you know, life in the Bronx. But I love it, man. It's, it's such a unique place. Like when it, there were times in the beginning of the job, I don't know if I ever told you about this, but I would, you know, you can get flustered. You know, you can kind of get overwhelmed with the responsibility, particularly me being a first time director. Um, what I would do is I would just go walk down Arthur Avenue, you know, wow. being able to have that right in our backyard. Um, and even though it's a hectic area, you know, it was something that where you can just walk, you can breathe, you can see people from all over the world, you know, different food, different shops, different, just everything. And that was kind of a, a way for me to kind of decompress was to walk down Arthur Avenue, you know, the Bronx Zoo right here, the Botanical Garden. I can't, I, I've probably been to the Bronx Zoo three or four times uh, in the last three and a half years, you know, me and my girlfriend will go there and uh, enjoy some of the exhibits and, you know, pet the the sloths or, you know, <laughs> we were able to uh, get an up close encounter with uh, porcupines and uh, parrots and armadillos and stuff like that. So it's been uh, it's fun. It's a unique place, man. But you do have to be tough. Yeah, I should have went to the Bronx Zoo more, man. I should have taken more advantage of that stuff. I'm soft now, man. I'm, I'm a Jersey Shore guy, man. I'm soft as how I drive speed limit now. <laughs> You know, you're a lot of things, Gio, but you're definitely not soft. Man. I appreciate you that, man. You're as tough as they come. So <laughs> the, the zoo, though, is like it really is a gold mine as far as um, just being able to see things, man, like that just not a lot of people get to see. And the Botanical Garden, if you do ever, I mean, obviously you'll be back. And, I've never and, been there. Uh, yeah, I, I'll definitely make sure that uh, I'll get you back. But when you come back with the wife, one of the things is is good is um, they have the uh, the train show during the holidays. Okay. Um, and uh, they do this exhibit, man, where they, they make all this, like, they almost recreate New York City, like Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan. And they do it from, like, literally, like, leaves and sticks and rocks. And the artistry that went into this exhibit at the Botanical Garden was, like, unbelievable. Hmm. I never heard of that. Yeah, train show. Every year during the, the holidays. Train show, really huh? Cool. Damn. 
Yeah, that, that's another the botanic garden right across the highway, uh, right across the highway, right across the street, man. I don't know why I never yeah. took a trip there, man. I'm, I'm corny as hell, man, with that stuff. I, that commute got me. That commute got the best of me. <laughs> See, I, I just talked about how much of a, a Yankees fan that I am. They never been to a game yet. Down here, I haven't gone to one Yankee. <laughs> so, like, while I am a, a Yankees fan, you know, I, you can never convince me that uh, to root for any other team. But uh, I got to get to the Yankee game. But you know, we got to thrown off by COVID a little bit. And, we all get busy doing stuff, so we don't necessarily take advantage of the city, even though it's right in our backyard. Sometimes you just get, you know, I don't know. You think about traveling somewhere else when in reality you've got the best city in the world right here. Yeah, right, right, exactly. It's funny because we're, we're down here in the Jersey Shore now, and it's like I haven't even been to the beach yet. It's like, what the hell am I doing, you know? <laughs> it's literally right there. But, yeah, it's almost like you think about what's on the other side versus what you have right there. What's right in front of you, yep. No. That happens in everything, but yeah, I got to get to a Yankee game. I got to get back to the garden. Um, yeah, there's so much good around here. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Bronx coach, I want, I want to stay on that topic now because uh, training wise for Fordham University, we, you know, we became known as Fort Hampshire University. Social media knows it. ESPN won't acknowledge it. That's all right. We'll get there <laughs> one day. Um, but, you know, people have been hit, hitting me up. They've probably been hitting you up, Coach Greer, Coach Giorgio, about the Bronx curl, which is essentially a single leg Nordic. But we're, we call it the Bronx curl because if the Bulgarians can take the split squat, we'll take that. But yeah, talk about the posterior chain development in itself, you know, including the Nordics, you know, the GHRs and all that stuff. You know, people like to get fancy and sexy. But I want to talk more about the Nordics because I think we did a great job. I think you did an outstanding job programming it and progressing it over time. To be honest with you, the Nordic curl is something that I kind of became infatuated with as a GA at Springfield College. Okay. You know, and there was a joke that I used to have with Scott Leach, uh, who was a uh, you know, a really good friend of mine and, and uh, other, he was a, a GA at Springfield as well. You know, there was a few things that you can go to the bank on. And one was that, you know, peanut butter and jellies get you stronger <clears throat> and the Nordic curl is a must in all programs. So I've always kind of been uh, infatuated with the Nordic curl and its ability to decrease hamstring injury. You know, we've all seen the, the studies that show like a 51% decrease in hamstring injury. Uh, if you can have proficient Nordic curl strength and ability. And I think it's some, it's an exercise so hard that you and I and everyone else here, we had to be creative in our progressions and regressions of the movement. You mm-hmm. know, we valued the ability for many of our athletes, whether they were close to 300 pounds or, you know, 130 pound runner on the track team, you know, to be proficient in our posterior chain strength for both injury prevention, as well as athletic performance enhancement. So. I don't know if you remember, but we literally had 20 exercises written on this board behind us in regards to, okay, how do we start somebody on the journey to do a Nordic curl? Right. Yeah. And we got to the point where we have, you know, some football athletes that can rep out 20 reps on the Nordic curl. So we're like, all right, how do we progress the Nordic curl? And then it came to a single leg Nordic curl, which we deemed the Bronx curl. And I always feel like, it adds a little extra oomph if you kind of name an exercise after maybe the location. You know, uh, Russian bear training sounds a lot better than just, you know, um, German volume or German volume <laughs> training with a Bulgarian split squat. Or, yeah. you know, we do the Icelandic crunch or something like that. It's always going to give the athletes a little bit more uh, interest yeah. in, in the training. So, you know, we deemed it the Bronx curl. But we were just really trying to look at, okay, how do we progress an athlete who has probably neglected hamstring, glute, and low back strength all of their life? 
how do we get them from that point towards getting towards a Nordic curl? And then, as you know, and as I've said before, like, how do we advance the Nordic curl? Are we going to weight it? Are we going to do pauses? Are we going to do, you know, different positions with our hips? Are we going to uh, try and get to a single leg variation? How are we going to use the glute ham raise um, from both a bilateral, a unilateral, a half glute ham raise, a full glute ham raise? You know, how are, do all those pieces fit together um, to enhance our, our posterior chain strength? And I think that's something that you and I went back and forth on a lot and really worked together on. And it ended up um, us having a, a good amount of our football athletes, as well as a lot of our other athletes, being able to achieve a Nordic curl, whether it be male, female, um, what have you. And um, it's something that the athletes really get behind. Unfortunately, ESPN, Bleacher Report, everybody who I've tried to tag has not gotten on the Ford ham train, but maybe this podcast will be the tipping point, as you say, to get us <laughs> to the big time. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, you, hey, you're right about naming something after a place because it's like you hear the word Bronx and you're like, that's not a, that, that's a crazy fuck place. You hear Bronx curl, you're like, oh, wait, time out, coach. Coach, what are we about to do right now? Hold on. You, you know? know, it's tough. Yeah. It's not, oh, uh, yeah. It's it, ain't, it ain't a walk in Central Park. It's not the Central Park curl. No, no, it's that a Bronx much. curl, man. You know it's tough. <laughs> Yeah, but no, we did have a list of progressions. And I forget, there was some that we eliminated. I think I part, like we started like partial range and stuff. Um, I think we kind of like, we, we realized just through trial and error, like, okay, what was really a good enough input or intense enough to actually trigger a response? Because I think we all learn like, like a physio ball leg curl, for example, right? It's kind of like a posterior chain movement that we all learn early on. And we're like, okay, it's, you know, both a hip extension exercise as well as a knee flexion exercise. But then you realize it's not that intense. And uh -huh. for someone outside of a beginner or maybe someone who's just getting introduced to the weight room, it doesn't really serve the value that maybe we're looking to get. So it's like, okay, how do we get someone in a Nordic curl? Like, okay, let's utilize some isometrics, right? We're going to get 10 to 15 degrees of strengthening in both directions. So how do we do different isometrics in that Nordic curl position? Okay, we can do it from a leg straight position. We can do it halfway up. We can do it almost at a fully contracted position. And more so than just like build the hamstrings, but develop that neuromuscular control to you know, contract their hamstrings as hard as they absolutely can in those positions. Sometimes I think, you know, and we are, we're training the brain to recruit those muscles to recruit those motor units more so than we're actually just training the hamstrings, right? I think we're training the whole system overall. So we kind of had our progression and the isometrics were big. Obviously, people have been doing Nordic curl eccentrics for years and years and years, but getting proficient in those isometrics, learning how to contract the hamstrings hard, I think that was probably one of the biggest uh, turning points in regards to getting a lot of our athletes over the hump. Yeah, Because if you just do that eccentric, it – it almost seems like you have good control, good control. And then you hit that point and it's like, you literally just, there's no, the, the body shuts down. Uh -huh. It's like the muscle spindles don't want to contract anymore. And then the whole hamstring posterior changes turns off. But if you're able to get into that position with an isometric and then, okay, I'm in control. Now I'm going to contract my glutes and hams and I'm going to hold it for 10, 15 seconds, what have you. I feel like that's the biggest you know, movement that has allowed us to get over the hump. Yeah. You know, I, I like the progression. I like that progression. And then when you went into the, um, 
what did you call it? The, the, the pumps out of the bottom? Yeah. I mean, obviously you're going to be weaker. You those know, were hard as hell. I felt those. Position, yeah. As well as the most contracted position. So if we got all the way down to the Nordic, while you're still extended at the hip, you're fully extended at the knee where it's going to be in a, a weaker position. So it's like, okay, let me just lightly use my hands, contract the hamstrings in that position for 10, 15, 20 pumps, like you said. And that, um, again, it just trains the hamstrings to contract in a weakened position. It trains the brain to recruit the hamstrings in a weakened position. And, and that was hugely helpful too. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like hiring someone for a job that didn't once exist. Now it does. You know, <laughs> that's the only way I can. Absolutely. Those motor units were never used. I mean, cause how many, you know, football players in high school are doing Nordic curls or doing any posterior chain work. You know, if you get them to do yeah. legs, in high school, you're doing a good job, but how many of them are doing targeted hamstring work? Probably not. So those motor units, like you said, they've never been recruited. They've never been hired. So all of a sudden we do two sets of five Nordic curls and these guys, you know, can barely get off the toilet the next day. So it's definitely got to be taken in a slow cook approach. Yeah, definitely. Talking about lower body since you know we're talking hamstrings and stuff. Let's talk about squats now. I think your squat progression has been great. Uh, you definitely helped me out, be a better coach in how I progress it now. I have a note here, and I told you earlier, it says from freshman year to Zurchers. I feel like no one does Zurchers because it's one of those things where it obviously it hurts, right? I'm not going to lie. Very uncomfortable. People deem it to be, quote unquote, non-sport specific. But hearing the way we talked about it and the way you implemented it with the football guys at Fordham, I felt like it served great purpose. Uh, so if you just want to talk about your progression, um, if you have a progression or if it's just something where it's like, hey, you look good, let's move on to here. Because we, we've done stuff like that where we talked at times like, Hey, Fultis looks great. We're going to put him on back squat. All right, cool. You know, and you know, your thoughts on progressing into more extreme squat patterns. Yes. I think it's a combination of both, right? So I'm going to have a continuum of squats, you know, and the next step is always going to be a little bit more demanding from a mobility perspective than the previous one, uh -huh. you know? So let's say that like the beginning of my, you know, squat progression is going to be a heels elevated goblet squat. You know, that's kind of the lowest hanging fruit where ankle mobility is taken out. The, you know, the weight on a goblet is going to be a little bit lighter. You know, the anterior load of the goblet of the dumbbell or kettlebell is going to put them in a little bit more of an upright position so that they can achieve full depth and they can train their knees, hips and ankles through a pretty good range of motion. So that would probably be more of like my entry point into the continuum. You know, probably at the other end of the continuum is going to be something like an overhead squat, right? Where shoulder flexion, thoracic extension, core stability, upper back strength, hip mobility, you know, leg strength, ankle mobility is all going to be challenged. Um, so that's kind of like the hardest and the easiest part of that squat continuum. And then you only kind of get to that next level by demonstrating competence. So we will start a lot of times with a tempo goblet squat. You know, uh -huh. can we control the goblet squat down on a five second, a six second eccentric? Can we pause for two seconds in the very bottom where our hamstrings are covering our calves um, and maintain that upright torso and then drive up with core tightness and not looking like a wet noodle? Okay, <laughs> we've, we've shown that we can do that. Um, let's move on to the next progression. Yep. And the next progression after a goblet squat would be something like a hands-free front squat for me. So okay. I really like getting that barbell in the front rack position with our arms extended because 
the arms extended allows us to really emphasize an upright torso. Because if we have any fold forward at all with that torso, the bar is going to come down. Um, so that really teaches the athlete an upright torso. It really teaches the athlete to maintain core tightness. And it really teaches them where they need to position that barbell. Um, and again, I really like utilizing tempos. Um, not so much. I, I mean, I, I do like utilizing them for athletic performance enhancement. And we've all been influenced in a positive way by people like Charles Poliquin emphasizing tempos and Cal Dietz and his, uh, you know, his triphasic program. So we've all been grateful to have those guys emphasize utilizing tempos. But I think there also can be utilized a lot to teach. Um, cause when you slow things down, regardless if it's in the weight room or sport, you're able to really dial in on the correct form. And then as you understand that form a little bit better, okay, now we can employ, you know, some different techniques for explosiveness or velocity based training, but that's, you know, that's going to come a little bit later. So after we do a hands-free front squat and we utilize uh, tempo with that, then we'll actually get into a clean grip front squat where the athlete will be in that, you know, front rack position. And we're always going to be cueing a lot of things from our chin position, our neck position, our upper back position, our elbow position, engagement of our core and, and, and how to brace effectively. And then again, we always want to get in that full range of motion with our hamstrings covering our calves, upright torso. Uh, I'm a big proponent of full range of motion squats um, you know, it comes up again, but Charles Poliquin was a, a big influence on me. Uh, a lot of the strength coaches that I've worked with and, and conversed with over the years, um, were big proponents of full range of motion squats. Um, so I know the debate is kind of up in regards to performance enhancement, um, when it comes to, okay, are partial range of motion squats beneficial or full range of motion squats beneficial, and you can probably find a research article to support both claims. I've just always been a proponent of, you know, full range of motion, full benefit. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that the hypertrophy associated with full range of motion is a little bit greater than half range squats. And you're kind of getting a more balanced development of adductors, quads. You know, you get that extra VMO uh, engagement in the bottom of a squat. You know, your glutes are going to be engaged. And I just think that having an athlete strong in all ranges of motion is going to be more beneficial in the long term. I do think, you know, half ranges of motion in the squats can be beneficial for, you know, maybe increasing force uh, output and can be used in a targeted sense um, at certain times of the year. But a vast majority of our year, regardless of the type of squat we're doing, it's going to be a full range of motion squat. And I have to be honest with you, a lot of my, our athletes will stay in that clean grip front rack position, front squat for most of their athletic career here. And I like it because of the upper back development. I like it with the core involvement. I like that it allows us to maintain an upright torso, um, get a full range of motion, and it has a direct carryover to our, our clean. And with a lot of our different athletic teams, we will utilize Olympic progressions and the clean is one that I really uh, enjoy utilizing with a lot of my athletes. Not all teams and not all athletes will clean, but it is something that we do emphasize as far as one of our KPIs. And if a sport and an athlete can effectively do a clean, I'm going to employ it. And the front squat is going to be 
uh, a big part of that. If an athlete does really, really well with the front squat, you know, has that upright torso, can get the full range of motion with the hamstrings covering the calves. And then another role that plays a part of it is the weight in which they're moving. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had some athletes get up towards a 500 pound front squat oh, yeah. and it becomes almost <laughs> a chore to even breathe with that um, weight coming down on your, your chest, upper shoulder area. And if you've done front squats at a, at a pretty appreciable weight, you know, if you have that barbell one inch this way or one inch that way, there are some times when you feel pretty lightheaded and uh, you might feel like you're passing out, like it's mm-hmm. just sitting wrong. No matter what you do that day, it's just sitting wrong. Uh, so what we'll do is with the athletes that have the mobility, that have the rep integrity, that make carbon copies of each and every single rep, we will move to the back squat. We have some athletes who, who back squat, and it just allows a little bit more comfortability as far as avoiding that rack position that you, you can't support as much weight in a front squat as you can a back squat. So right, right. for some of our more advanced athletes, we will employ uh, the back squat to continue our lower body development. And then I think the back squat also lends itself towards you know velocity-based training a little bit better. Sometimes with the front squat, it can be hard to really accelerate through the top just with the positioning of the barbell. Now you absolutely can, but I think the back squat just lends itself to be a little bit easier to employ some of those squatting techniques, whether we're utilizing bands or chains or jump squats, just having that back squat position will help with that. And you brought up zerchers and I really love the zercher, but I would probably put that probably before the front squat in its place on the continuum. When okay. you have that weight sitting in the crooks of your elbow and it's a little bit closer to your core, you're actually able to squat a little bit deeper with a little bit more of an upright torso because it's closer to kind of that fulcrum point of your hips. Okay. Um, and we utilized a lot of um, zercher squats, one, because I kind of like getting these guys to do some tough things, two, just the overall development it would give to the whole torso as a whole. But we utilized it a lot during COVID because we were outside training with barbells and plates. Yeah. And we're no like, racks. Okay, we can deadlift, um, but we don't have squat stands outside. You mm-hmm. know, and I didn't feel comfortable with people lifting up the barbell, you know, cleaning on the turf, putting that bar, you know, a heavy barbell on their back. How are they going to get there? Trusting spotters to lift it up. So I'm like, hey, we're going to teach these guys how to zercher squat. You know, I think the zercher Off squat the ground. Is developed in prison without squat racks. <laughs> we were outside with just barbells and, and dumbbells, you know, wheeling them out every day. Let's search your squat. Yeah. You know, we would do different tempos. We would do different complexes in regards to, okay, let's search your squat and then sprint or let's search your squat and then jump and do different uh, supersets like that. But the guys really did take to the zercher squats. And I've got, I've still got plenty of great videos on my phone of guys search your squat in 405, you know, pausing with, you know, heavy weights in the bottom of a zercher squat position. And outside of a select few, not many coaches will utilize that variation, but it's got a whole lot of value. It does. Yeah. Especially with low back development. So somebody writes something about low back looking like, uh, what, what do you say? Lead pipes <laughs> sticking out your low back or some shit. I right? used to say like, I wanted our erector uh, spines to look like two meatball marinaras going down the side of our <laughs> spine. Two 12 inch uh, double meat meatball marinaras. But the Zercher's got a lot of value. And we even utilized it in a, um, like a split squat variation, you know, for core development. It's, it's I, isometrics, that, yeah, those were tough. 
it's just something that is not utilized enough, to be honest with you. And it's one of those things that hits so many things that would help athletic enhancement. You know, you could do carries with zergers. You could do isometrics. I believe it's a good uh, tool to put on that continuum of teaching someone how to bilateral squat correctly. Uh Um, I noticed that it's really good for basketball athletes with really like, they don't have that core integrity yet. They've got really long limbs. Getting someone to zercher squat with their heels elevated, I think is a really, really good variation for some of those taller athletes that I've seen some coaches utilize, but needs to be utilized more Mm -hmm. um, in that teaching progression. So we kind of talked about, you know, the back squats. And then I I do like the overhead squat. It's interesting. One of our athletes has really uh, done a good job with the overhead squats lately because we've been teaching him how to snatch effectively. Uh, The clean just wasn't a good variation for him. So we were utilizing a power snatch. And I said, okay, now it's time to start to really develop the overhead squat if you want to maximize, you know, your snatch ability. And he's taken to it. Um, But that is extremely challenging from a mobility perspective, extremely challenging uh, to have that overhead stability. But, you know, he was snatching 235 the other day. And that's not something you see every day at the collegiate level for someone who is only using weightlifting to enhance their athletic ability. They are not an Olympic weightlifter. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, doing a pretty good job with that. But uh, I think we all kind of utilize the overhead squat either as something to help, you know, develop mobility, shoulder stability, upper back strength. You know, we could do different types of variations from an overhead squat position, but it's something that. I would see on one end of the spectrum, whereas my goblet squat kind of starts that bilateral squat progression. It's funny you mentioned overhead squat at the end there, because I would have thought that would have been a little bit earlier. But my problem personally, when I overhead squat, I do it off. I mean, you know what I'm doing these days. (laughs) Snatch clean squat, right? Good program. Is the T-spine extension. And I feel like I'm using too much shoulder. I, I think I got hypermobile shoulders, man. Them things get all the way back there. And I just don't have the extension at the T-spine, man. What are some things that you've seen? Or, or I guess, you know, with the guy you're doing the overhead squat with now, you know, what are some things you work on to improve on that T-spine extension, if there is anything? Or is it just a, a thing that with time and age, I'm 34, my T-spine might be starting to lock up on me and the keys are being thrown away, so I don't even know. But what are some things you think can help improve? Like, is T-spine extension a limiting factor for overhead strength? I think so. I think it's something that I've neglected for so long. Um, cause I think, you know, you and I were kind of similar in that we've had, you know, some lower back pain. And I think the first thing that we look at is the hips, right? Right. Yeah. Um, we're like, okay, let's look at hip internal rotation, external rotation. Let me look at my hip flexors. Let me look at my glute activation. Okay. Those are okay. I'm working on those. Let me work on my core. Let me do my dead bugs. Let me do my suitcase carry. Let me make sure that, you know, my core is correct. Um, But I think a lot of us forget about the T-spine. And I think its relation to both low back and the hips is understated. I think its relation to the upper body is is undervalued as well. And I think it's kind of hard because it's hard to achieve a lot of thoracic extension in the drills that we do. Uh You know, that's where I, I, I see a lot of the FRC concepts being a lot, having a lot of value. But I also feel like just the knowledge of trying to apply it to some of our bigger movements or our more traditional movements has provided me a ton of value. And I really, 
it was kind of like that light going off moment when I was working with uh, Dmitry Klokov just about a month ago, you know, when Giorgio and I went to the clinic and, you know, he was teaching us his way of performing Olympic lifts and the positions he was having us get into in the front squat, in the back squat, in the bottom of the clean really taught me that I was not achieving nor coaching the chin, the head, and the thoracic spine position that you really need to um, be as strong and as mobile as you can in a sport as demanding to be strong and mobile as Olympic weightlifting. Right. You know, and we utilize those Olympic variations with a lot of our different athletes, whether it be a snatch, a clean, um, or any of its derivatives. But until you, <laughs> until you learn from someone like Dmitry Klokov, a world champion, about really getting into the right position, I had no idea the thoracic and upper back strength it really takes to do those movements correctly. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had us on 40 kilos shaking like a leaf, to be honest with you. But just his cues with his chin, his upper back, it really changed my perspective on not just setting the feet, the, you know, the hips, the core, because I think that's what we focus a lot on. But where are we positioning our eyes? Where are we positioning our shoulders? Where are we positioning our upper back and T-spine to also make sure that we're utilizing the correct muscles? Because if I have forward head posture, if I have rounded upper back, uh, you know, thoracic area, and I don't have the correct mobility to get into that correct posture, I'm not going to be able to, I'm going to have to compensate somewhere else. So yeah. whether it be the shoulder, like you said, you know, maybe having hypermobile shoulders or, you know, possibly uh, kyphotic through that upper back that makes those shoulders round a little bit more and impinges that joint a little bit more. Maybe that's going to be at the root of not having the correct thoracic extension. Or for someone like me, it was like having undue back pain. But ever since I have um, been more cognizant in every single exercise, whether that be a back extension with even a light dowel or me doing back squats, or me doing front squats, being cognizant of my chin and head position, as well as my thoracic extension, my back uh, has never felt better. And it really allows us to get in that position that we've been trying so hard to coach with a lot of our athletes. Yeah. I've been, I've been trying to focus on T-spine stuff a lot. I mean, you see me, I was doing a lot of, like, you turn around, talk to me, you see me coming to that upright torso. I mean, I was just trying to work on it, but it's hard. I don't know if there's like, cause some of the exercises that we've all been taught, like no monies or floor slides or open books or getting on the peanut and doing a thoracic extension or a foam roller. I'm not, I don't know if those are like, I don't know if the input of those drills are enough to actually change our biomechanics, you know, yeah. to change the structure of our skeleton, which is essentially what we're trying to do when we're working on thoracic extension because uh -huh. our skeleton has been so programmed and the inputs of sitting in the chair or having bad posture or having that forward he uh, head position that this becomes my new normal. And it's like, okay, what input do I have to give my body to achieve the opposite where I do have that upright torso. And I think it really comes from something intense, like an intense, thoracic car that's done with FRC concepts. It's done with a tempoed front squat where you've got the world champion, Dmitry Klokov, really queuing up your position. And you feel like 
You got bones in your back moving in with ways in which they've never moved before. You feel sore and <laughs> muscles in places you didn't even think you had places. And it really was a light bulb moment to be like, the front squat is an upper back movement. Yeah. For me, for me it is. You know, whereas my legs are not the weak point. My core is not the weak point. You know, my mobility in my lower body is not the weak point. For me, it's that thoracic extension. It's that upper back drill. Yeah. Same thing with the back squat. For me, it's not even a leg strength issue anymore. It is a upper back strength. When I'm teaching these guys um, or teaching myself and some of these guys how to do a back extension, the glutes and the hamstrings and low backs are going to work. Okay. But can I cue these guys up with chin? Can I cue these guys up? with their chest to reverse all the sitting and the rounding and the texting that these guys do so that we do have more optimal posture because a posture is really going to be an expression of um, a lot of things just outside of, you know, how we sit or stand, you know, it's going to, exactly, it's going to relate yeah. to our emotions. It's going to relate to our mindset. It's going to relate to how the body moves overall. So I, I've definitely become increasingly interested in the posture and, and trying to really make sure that we have, I don't know if there's an optimal posture, but I think there's things that we can do if athletes have pain to help with their posture because there's certain exercises we can do if someone's got a bum shoulder or, you know, a hurt shoulder, you know, we can do in an hour, but the other 23 hours, what's the posture like, you know, what are the inputs that they're putting inside their body for the other 23 hours? We've got to do something in here or at least put it inside their mind to move in a way that just allows them to have good inputs throughout the entire day. Yeah. It's like a downloading pour and then for 23 hours and then for that one hour, you're trying to upload great and it just it doesn't sink. You, you don't got the, uh, what are you, you don't got the hard drive space to exactly. upload that much. Yeah. You know, um, you take 10,000 steps a day, you know, uh, what are those inputs like, you know, and the, those ones might make more of a difference than just, you know, the hour of core work we do here or, or what, anything that we do, you know, we have to make sure that we're putting mm. in enough of those right inputs. Yeah. I used to, I, I try to do those foam rollers and the peanuts. It feels good, but it's all passive. And like you said, if the intensity is not there, if it's not active, then you're not really doing stuff. So I started laying on my stomach, um, but I would go on my stomach, hands across my low back. And I just try to extend T-spine 99% of the time I'm going to extend my low back, but I'm always trying to go back down you know, nose in the ground and trying to just focus on, try to lift everything above the nipples to the top of my head off the ground. Bang. If I can do that, then I feel good. You know, if I feel the bones crack and like you said, right. Yeah. Um, I'll do my overhead squats and I'm just focusing on just keeping my pelvis where it's at, keeping the bar where it's at, open up the chest, open up the chest. And again, I'm feeling pop, 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 pop on the way down, you know? Yeah. It's, there's a great quote uh, by Gary Ward. And that's somebody who I've, I've been trying to learn from a lot. But essentially what he says, and I hope I don't butcher it, but it's bones act, muscles react. So if we can put ourselves in the right position from a skeletal standpoint, the muscles are going to do their jobs. So if we can really get those athletes um, in the correct position from a skeleton perspective, you know, the right muscles are going to fire correctly. And if we can consistently fire those right muscles, it's just going to become our new posture, our new norm, so that every input that we put in throughout the rest of the day is facilitating health, is facilitating performance. Mm -hmm. And I, I got to agree with you with the front squat being upper back dominant because most guys fail when they just can't hold the bar up, posture crumbles and then bar goes into the crash bar. But um, anybody that disagrees with that, I'd say, you know, film your guys at a, at a heavy set and see their posture. And then that, that question, they answer itself. But uh that's good stuff, man. I loved everything you talked about. T-spine, I feel like I could talk about that for days, man. 
because it's, it's just been like a, a new topic of my, I mean, you and I, we talked about it a lot at the office, but it's just been one thing I've been trying to hone in on this, this summer. And it's like, I just can't figure out what it is. You know, I, I think guess- it's like, we, at least I, I can only speak for myself, but I was so enamored with the hips, you know, and we're always doing most of the muscles or most of the movements that we choose as strength and conditioning coaches are going to be hip dominant, knee dominant exercises, hip draft. We're looking at, you know, the squats, the cleans, the deadlifts. And while those are extremely important, like, I think it just creates, or doesn't, you know, we just have such a focus on the glutes, hamstrings, quads, and maybe like the anterior core, but we don't talk about the T-spine enough. And like you said, working with baseball, working with swimming, working with some of our more overhead athletes or football athletes who are going to take a lot of pounding on the shoulder joints. If we don't address the T-spine, I think we're doing a big disservice. I would say that goes for both extension and rotational. Cause I, I think my rotational capacity has decreased over time. It just, that's just what happens after the age of 30. Right. Yeah. And it, but it's just think it's something that, you know, you and I don't do as much anymore. Like how often yeah. are we, you know, throwing a baseball anymore? How often are we really doing things that demand rotation? So I think it's probably important as we get a little bit older and it's something it's important with our athletes as well to like, okay, we need to have some type of rotational movement in our program, regardless if we're a quarterback, baseball athlete, or a swimmer for that matter, because being able to disassociate the hips or the pelvis from the shoulders and the T-spine, it's just going to allow us to be better athletes overall. Um, so I, I think the med ball work is extremely uh, critical. You know, I just wrote on uh, my Twitter the other day, like I think one of the most valuable tools a strength coach can have is a wall. You know, and oh you know, yeah, yeah, I, I saw love, that. That was a good post. I love being able to go outside, and we've got our med balls, and we can do different rotational throws. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the wall allows us to do that and have that recoil with both our core absorbing as well as creating force, being able to disassociate our hips from our upper body. I think it's um, something that's uh, it's got a lot of value, and it's free, right? If you got a wall, you got a med ball, you you can do get a lot of good work in. Yeah. No, just just to reiterate, brick wall. Right? Don't, don't yes. mess a sheet. <laughs> don't mess up the sheet rock in the, at, at the crib, man. My mom was gonna be pissed. <laughs> exactly. Put, yeah, make sure it's a brick wall. Go to the park or something. Right, throwing the eight pound med ball against a sheet rock wall. God bless you, man. But um, <laughs> this is good stuff. Very educational. I love it. But uh, before we wrap things up, coach, I want to talk about uh, nutrition because you kind of sparked my interest at Fordham about nutrition because you were heavy into it when when we first met smart as hell about it. Even though you say you're not, you're still learning, but I, I, I took a lot away from you. Talk about some things that you believe are, you know, top choices to help athletes or people in general live and compete at a high level. And I know we always talk about, Hey, if your nutrition's not 100% excellent, you shouldn't be talking about supplements and that extra stuff, which I, I believe in. And I, and I continue to say to this day, and like Giorgio said, no one's a purple belt role, white belts in nutrition, because we still don't know how to eat well. In, in general, but just talk about some things that you believe are the go-tos to help people live and compete at a high level. Absolutely. Nutrition has been a passion of mine for a long time now, and I've always appreciated being able to bounce ideas off you in regards to nutrition. And, and it really comes down to quality, right? The quality in which of the food that we're putting into our bodies. You know, I, it's, a, it's a quote that I stole from my time at Western Michigan, which was elite in, elite out. And that goes into all aspects of our life. And it was in reference to elite effort in, elite performance out, 
but I firmly believe that in regards to nutrition as well. And it, it really is the X factor at the collegiate level. And it probably is the X factor at every level, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And you would know more about, you know, how the NFL guys eat. You know, we all know that there's plenty of high school athletes out there that are probably not fueling themselves with quality nutrients. And I see that at the collegiate level as well. The first thing that we always want to make sure that we emphasize to anybody is the quality of the food that they put inside their body. You know, and it's a very intimate relationship with food, right? It's something that's actually being ingested and assimilated by your body. Mm -hmm. It's not just dirt or something that's being on the exterior of your skin. It's something that's going inside of our body. So we should really want to put the highest quality food inside our body. And that doesn't mean like it has to be organic this or grass fed that or you know, be wild yak meat from this hidden mountain in, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, nowhere, Canada or something like that. But you and I would always joke with a lot of the athletes, like, listen, if it's got an ingredient label, you should be pretty skeptic. Mm-hmm. If it's got a commercial for it, you should probably be skeptical. If there's a cartoon character on the box, run the other way. Because (laughs) those are not going to be the things that you want to put inside your body for optimal performance. And a lot of the youth athletes, a lot of the collegiate athletes, the body is so forgiving and they can just really do whatever they want and feel okay. But if you're really trying to achieve optimal performance, if you're really trying to achieve optimal health, the food that you put inside your body, the, the fluid that you consume to hydrate your body, it really becomes something that is of paramount importance. So what we're trying to emphasize to our athletes and anyone that we work with is the quality in which we put uh, of the food in which we put inside our body. So I'm constantly testing these guys on, hey, can you name me three elite protein sources? And inevitably, there's some athletes who just don't know what quality protein sources are. Peanut butter. Right. That, I mean, that's what that's what they say sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, like they just you know the first thing that they say is peanut butter, and you know we joke about it all the time. But whoever perpetuated you know this idea that peanut butter was the athletic, you know the premier athletic choice for protein, you know should should get a medal because they have really propagated that to all the athletes. But to mm-hmm. me, you know, to the guys in my room. Um, Uh, peanut butter is not an elite protein source. Typically it's going to be some type of meat, egg, or fish, um, some type of uh, protein that is going to deliver all the essential amino acids that are going to help the body recover from a training session. So educating the athletes first and foremost on what an elite protein source goes a long way. You know, we want to opt for something that is baked or grilled or boiled as opposed to fried, breaded, and got a whole bunch of cream sauces added to it. You know, then we, you know, we want to talk about what's an optimal fat source. I think there's a, there still is to this day, people are afraid of fat. And there's so much benefit that comes from consuming the, the optimal or the, the healthiest fat. You know, we're teaching these athletes the benefits that come from the omega-3s in your salmon, your sardines, your mackerel, your herring, you know, the fish oil, the omega-3s that are going to come from olive oil, uh, avocados, cashews, walnuts, almonds, Brazil nuts, 
you know, we try and make sure that we provide these guys with great snack options inside of the locker room where they can get that dose of healthy fat because it's going to be so good for their joints. It's going to be so good for their immune system. It's going to be so good for their hormonal environment that it's going to allow them to feel good and perform at their very best. Uh And and fats are something that a lot of people shy away from uh, either because they're afraid of extra calories or they just don't know. They think that consuming fat is going to lead to them getting fat when in reality, that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, your, our final macronutrient is carbohydrates. And this is something that we've got a lot of access to here in America is any type of refined (laughs) carbohydrate that you could ever want with cereal, pasta, breads, bagels, things like that. But I try and get my athletes to opt for things like potatoes, things like rice, things like oatmeal. And, you know, there is a little bit of pasta in there as well. Some athletes can get away with it. Some athletes can't get away from it if you're really trying to optimize body composition. And carbohydrates are typically going to be dependent upon how lean we are from a body composition perspective. And we've done a better job of taking um, body composition on our football athletes a little bit more regularly and monitoring their body fat percentages. And that will help us in regards to where our macronutrients need to be, you know, what focus we need to have in regards to our post-workout replenishment um, and carbohydrates are going to play a large role, um, you know, in that uh, differentiation uh, of athletes of different body composition. And then then finally, and probably most importantly, is trying to get our athletes to consume more fruits and vegetables. And I'm amazed to this day that even though our 18 to 22-year-old athletes are technically called adults, some of them are still acting like children and not consuming enough fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. So trying to find a few different vegetables that we can vary uh, and include in our diet. Uh, ones that they like, or at least don't despise, that they can add into their nutrition on a daily basis. Because you know, and I'm sure everybody listening knows that uh, there's so much benefit that can come from fiber, micronutrients, minerals from vegetable and fruit intake um, that will just keep us healthier. You know, and it's going to help our athletes be leaner. It's going to help our athletes um, fill in some of those gaps that we may be missing in regards to vitamins and minerals and all those micronutrients that we are still learning about on a day-to-day basis right now. You know, we want to try and have a salad a day. We want to try and include a fruit or vegetable every single meal that we consume just to fill in all of those spaces that we may miss um, in our regular nutrition program. And just kind of how you alluded to in the beginning, there's not once that I ever mention a creatine, a protein powder, a weight gain, or a pre-workout, you know, a a beta alanine, any type of supplement. You know, we want to establish great habits in our nutrition on a day-to-day basis that allows us to fill in those gaps before we ever have to rely on a protein powder or a creatine or any of these other supplements that are exactly what they're claimed to be. They should be a supplement to an already pristine nutrition program. Um, And not till you really reach a pretty high level of performance inside the weight room and on the athletic field, do any of those supplements ever really need to come into play. Not to say that they don't work because we all know that creatine has been studied time and time again, and it works. I don't think it's necessary for an athlete to take that until they reach 
a certain level of development. You know, same thing with maybe someone's ingestion of caffeine. Has it been shown to delay fatigue? 100% absolutely. But until an athlete is fueling themselves appropriately with protein, carbohydrates, fat, fruits, vegetables, hydrating themselves, establishing great sleep habits. You know, we didn't even talk about sleep. And I know you and I are big fans of that. Yeah. Um, until they're doing all of those things, filling in the big rocks that will really move the needle in regards to athletic development, recovery, and progression. Do we ever need to worry about those little things like supplementation? You know, that can, that can come later on. You know, our strongest athletes are the ones who focus on those big rocks and they do them consistently. You know, I think it's those people who are looking for those shortcuts, those easy ways are the athletes that ask us about weight gainers right away. Yeah. Weight gainers. Go, uh, which protein powder should I drink, coach, to gain weight? Just eat some food, bro. You know? That's, that's what I used to tell them all the time. Just eat some food. There's more calories in that than the damn protein shake, man. 150 calories ain't going to save your day. You know what I'm doing now is um, I'm trying to utilize my fitness pal with the athletes more. Because I was utilizing food frames a lot, uh-huh. um, you know, and taking pictures. But what I'm trying to get them to do now is fill everything out in my fitness pal. And it can be difficult because they don't really necessarily know what ounces or grams are. Uh-huh. But there are certain selections on my fitness pal where you can just say chicken breast or one cucumber or something like that. And now we can add all the calories up so that they can see if we're practicing and lifting and you weigh 220 pounds, but you want to get to 240, they might be able to, it allows for them to see how few calories they are eating to elicit that growth in their muscle tissue. Okay. So it's, you know, instead of just like looking at the picture, now we're actually getting some numeric values as opposed, you know, to see if like, okay, we're not eating enough to facilitate growth. We don't need a weight gainer. What we need to do is have the discipline to go to the, to the dining hall five times a day, put high quality food in our body, recover like we need to do it, do it consistently. But let's take a look at my fitness pal. Let's see if you really think you're eating as much as you say you are. That's valuable stuff. You want to talk about sleep real quick? Yeah. I mean, gems in there. I'm you, huge I, on you're sleep. You're the man when it comes to the sleep because you were utilizing the sleep cycle app. Yeah. Um, you know, and you were utilizing that a lot with water polo here and it was really great to see the trends over time and the people who really progressed the most were those who were really optimizing their recovery. And we know that even though we all like those, you know, foam rollers or the guns that, you know, massage our stuff, no recovery is going to be as great as sleep. And if they sold all the benefits of a great night's sleep in a pill, it would be the most widely bought pill in the entire world. Mm -hmm. So Really emphasizing good sleep habits, I think, is something that you and I really tried to emphasize with the athletes um, and just strategies to do it. You know, okay, are we going to listen to, you know, we're going to try and avoid our cell phone, our computer, our TV 30 minutes, one hour before bedtime so that we can avoid blue light exposure, get that melatonin production so that we can get a more sound sleep. Hey, are we keeping our room? at an optimal temperature because it's going to be a little bit easier to fall asleep and stay asleep if it's a little bit chillier as opposed to warmer in our room. Hey, what's our routine going to look like prior to bed that is going to allow us to decompress and relax? Are we reading or eat, or I'm sorry, reading in bed would be fine, but are we eating in bed? Are we on our computer in bed? Are we playing video games in bed as opposed to reading, you know, maybe some type of novel 
or doing some type of light stretching or meditative exercise to allow for our body to get into a parasympathetic state and more optimally go to bed. So teaching different athletes uh, different strategies to help them go to bed, um, I, I think really help them. And there's so many different things that we can do because, you know, the sleep really is another X factor in regards to um, recovery and, and very similar to nutrition and one of those big rocks that we want to make sure that we're moving and making part of our program as a whole. I should, I should go get a PhD in sleep, man, because I feel like I studied so much and I, I like, I learned so much. What I found was freshmen always sleep the worst because yeah. one, it, it's a new social context to them. They want to hang out. Plus two for, for our, uh, I don't want to say benefit, but for our world at Fordham being in New York city, I mean, as an 18 year old, shoot, good luck trying to keep them on the leash, man. Uh, everything's there's a million people, the 9 million people there, right? 10 million, something like that. But so that, that was one thing for them. They just didn't know how to socially present themselves when it came time to hanging out, you know, disciplining themselves with sleep, schoolwork and sport that, and two biggest complaint um, outside of social environment was dorm room. Dorm rooms are hot. They suck sleeping with a non-athlete, right? They call them NARPs up there. That was always tough. But over time, what I saw was the seniors and juniors slept better than freshmen. Sophomores were like up and down, up and down, but seniors knew how to socialize. They knew when it was time to turn up. They knew when it was time to, you know, take it down. You'd see week after week, hey, okay, this is probably a party weekend. Uh, okay, this is midterm weekend. I get that. This is finals weekend. I get that. But over time, that's what I found. And plus, seniors, when they got the choice to sleep in those off-campus apartments, um, I guess they had their own rooms, air conditioners in the window, so they were able, able to sleep a lot better. So I feel like those are pluses and minuses when it comes to assessing sleep with a college athlete. So those are the only gems I took away from it. Other than that... <laughs> Nothing too sexy, nothing too crazy. I think just being able to have that data, though, like you you emphasize with that team, it's like you you may think that you're sleeping okay, and then you look and see how restless you were, yeah, or how much you were actually moving, or how poor your sleep was, and then obviously what gets measured gets managed. So then it's on the athlete to then do a little bit more homework on their part to say like, okay. I value sleep. I, I value my performance in the weight room on the field. What can I do to get better? You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to invest in blackout court curtains that are cost 20 bucks? Uh -huh. You know, am I going to be consistent on the weekends when I could sleep in a little bit more? I could stay out later. I could sleep in a little bit more, or I could make the right decision, go to bed a little bit earlier, wake up at the same time, even though I don't have that class or lift or practice commitment. And that's where you kind of see the discipline that happens uh, with a junior or senior, you know, freshman, sophomore year, like you said, they're in a new environment. They're trying to experience college. Yeah. You know, there's no, just there's no curfew. Anything. Yeah. There's no parent curfew. Nothing. None yeah. of that stuff. Yes. Yes. Mom, I'm home. No, you're not. You're at a bar bathroom taking, <laughs> taking that phone call, getting yep. off the phone quick, man. Absolutely. But, um, but that yeah. consistency, I, I think those juniors, seniors, they see that clock ticking. Or, you know, they, they're a little beat up from just college athletics overall, and they're going to try and take advantage of every single modality and, and strategy that they can. And I got to imagine what I hear in the pros, you know, is that they're doing everything as well. You know, I see these guys really investing in their recovery and their body. Um, uh -huh. I think it just progresses from a freshman in college all the way to, you know, you see Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and what they put into their recovery. LeBron James spending millions of dollars yeah. on every little thing to improve recovery or sleep. Uh-huh. And it's crazy because I think I think college kids should learn now because I'm thinking about this now. It's kind of you just mentioned the pros. 
like a pro football player's lifespan is what three to four years, I think. I think basketball is less NFL, than that. Oh yeah, yeah. NBA, unless you're a highly valued franchise guy like a Durant or a James, it's a, probably two or one year. Um, but I was even thinking about it just now. Like like college, that's your four year window. That, that's your four year resume to develop to treat yourself like a pro. That four year window, and how do you extend that? Well, you learn that stuff early. Versus, I, I remember um, what's his name, Martin Rooney, talking about it. When we were doing, um, when I was at Parisi's with his combine prep, he was telling guys, hey, look, hey, we got seven weeks to the combine, guys. If you wasted four years of not doing the warm-ups the right way, not lifting the right way, not doing stuff the right way, then guess what? These next seven weeks are not going to help you test better to get a higher draft position. So I think that, that's another takeaway for, um, for college athletes. You know, take everything serious from day one. So when yeah. you get to, like, like you said, when that clock's ticking your junior, senior year, you're not like, oh, shit, well, hey, I'm going to focus. Up. I'm going to do everything right now. Well, it's too late now, you know? Absolutely. I was just saying that to the guys the other day because it came up in the book I was reading. It was like these people who claim to be game players, right? They'll practice at 80, 85 percent, but they'll turn it up for the game. Mm -hmm. It's like that doesn't work. You're not going to be prepared for the game. It just has to be who you are, right? Where you are establishing great habits and you're improving upon those habits every step of the way. You're trying to master everything. From day one. Now, you're not going to be ready for everything day one, but the intent to get better is there from day one. And we see it in our athletes who are performing the highest now. And everyone wants to know what some of our highest performing athletes are doing differently. It's like they're not doing anything differently. They're just trying their best every single day. And it's just it's who they are. Like there is no off switch for them. They're just trying to do the best that they can every day. And they do it consistently Uh and doing those things consistently, whether it be sleeping right eating right, doing a lateral lunge in our warm-up correctly, doing an inchworm correctly, doing that Spider-Man with a twist correctly, those are the guys that have good mobility. Because we warm up for 10 minutes a day every single day, that's you know 40 to 50 minutes a week of mobility work. Mm-hmm. So then someone wonders why they're tight. It's like, well, you've never taken stretch um, seriously. So yeah. what makes you think in the seven-week preparation for the combine thinks that all of a sudden you're going to work some magic when – the 200 weeks prior to that, the four years, you were not doing it the way it should have been done. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's good stuff right there. I like that. I mean, it's a good, it's a good episode, man. It's educational. We went from hamstrings to getting your life ready at the end <laughs> the college. Man. Uh, good stuff, Absolutely. Gil. But hey, one last thing before I let you go, man, if you weren't, and you can't say, uh, what'd you say? Line cook. You can't say that because you did that already. If you were not a strength and conditioning coach, well, what other career do you see yourself in? Hmm. And you can't say teacher. That's ultimate clause. Everyone drops that. That's, that's terrible. Teacher. That's a good question. Um, to be honest with you, I think I would want to be, well, it's like, I actually, I was pretty close to being a Port Authority police officer at one point in time. But right now, if you ask me that question, I'd want to be working outdoors. I'd want to be either like a construction worker or I'd want to be like a lumberjack or a woodsman. I would want to be doing something with my hands out in, uh, out in nature to me. A farmer. Yeah. A farmer. I think essentially that's what we're doing here, man. It's like we're planting the seeds and we're not going to have that bountiful harvest until months and years later, but we're growing that crop. We're cultivating that crop until it's going to be, that bountiful harvest, like I said. So maybe a farmer, that would be something that I'd want to do as well. Yeah. That no, I, I I'd love to be a, we we talked about that. I'd love to be a farmer, man. Just out there raising what would you say, getting up Quality. early in the morning, 
Yeah. yeah early <laughs> in the morning. And again, it's like, we'd be one of those organic farmers. You know, we're not going to have any GMOs. We're going to make sure that we really tend to our, our crop. Uh-huh. And we're going to have a farmer's alliance. We're going to be working together. <laughs> you know, we're going to make sure that you got good crop. I got good crop so that the cross-pollination ensures that we've got the most elite harvest possible. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wake up early, waking up what four in the morning, make your coffee, get out there, feed the horses, run the tractors. It's six o'clock at night. The sun's going down. You're sitting in the rocking chair just like that. <laughs> Dude, hands, you, you would hands have, full you know, of dirt, right? <laughs> we used to talk about our, our hands are too clean, man. You know, we got to make sure we get some dirt underneath our fingernails and imagine the feeling as the sun's going down. Like, you know, you put in a good day's work and we don't even have to read those books on sleep, man, because we would be so good at sleep because we worked ourselves to the bone that yeah. entire day. Hell yeah. And your hands are dirty. You know, you put some good quality work in like a real man, right? That's how you, <laughs> that's how exactly. we used to say it. Right? I ain't no real man. No, no. <laughs> Washing your hands every hour with this COVID shit, man. <laughs> Not compared to the, these farmers, man. These people putting in real work and stuff like that. It's uh, that That's what I would want to be, definitely. Awesome, man. Good stuff. Well, Coach Gill, man, I appreciate you finally getting on the damn podcast, man. It's been too long and, you know, we finally got it done. But uh, no, thank you and I appreciate it, man. No, thank you. Thank you very much, man. It was fun. And uh, obviously, we're going to stay in touch for life, man. I've always appreciated what you've uh, brought to our student athletes and just being, like you said, not just a colleague, but uh, a good friend. Appreciate it, man. Definitely. And um, yeah, we'll definitely be in touch. And like you said, for a lifetime, we'll probably do this thing more than one time, more than two times. Awesome. In the future. So um, I'll talk to you soon. All right.